0: From the heart of the Midwest in Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to One More Cold Call, an Indiana University Maurer School of Law alumni podcast. Each week over a casual cup of coffee, Dean Parrish meets with accomplished alumni from around the world and from all walks of life. Over a season of episodes, we hear from law school alumni who have unique stories to tell about the unfolding of their professional lives and the lessons they've learned along the way.
1: We start off each podcast with a little bit of IU Maurer law trivia and history. I'm recording this podcast the week after we celebrated the 101st anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Did you know that the first woman circuit court judge in Indiana, the honorable Linda Chesum, the first woman appellate judge and the first woman federal magistrate judge in Indiana, the honorable Sue Shields, and the first woman chief justice of Indiana uh, Chief Justice Loretta Rush or all Indiana University, Bloomington, Maurer School of Law alumni. We have amazing alumni and it was terrific to celebrate their achievements last week with the Indiana State Bar Association's Bench and Bar Celebration of the 19th Amendment. Just a great little bit of tidbit to know. Today we're exploring sustainability and issues of environmental law. We get to meet Scott Breen, who is the vice president of sustainability at the Cannes Manufacturers Institute. Scott is a 2015 graduate with a joint JD MPA degree from the law school and the nation's number one ranked MPA degree program from IU's O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. During law school, Scott was a member of the Environmental Law Society. He worked with the Conservation Law Center, was a member of the Public Interest Law Foundation Foundation, and the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Project, and a number of other programs. Scott is the co-founder and creator of the award-winning Sustainability Defined podcast, which defines sustainability one concept and apparently one bad joke at a time. Hey, Scott, it's great to have you on the podcast.
2: Thank you, Dean Paris. I'm honored to be here for episode number one. I'll try to keep my bad jokes to a minimum.
1: Well, that's good. Hey, Scott, part of this podcast is just to highlight how varied the careers of our graduates can be. So I've got to ask, what is the Can Manufacturers Institute? And what does that have to do with law
2: and environmental sustainability? <laughs> that's a good question. So let me first explain CMI and then how it relates to what I did in law school. So Can Manufacturers Institute, it's a trade association, represents US metal can manufacturers and their suppliers. So it's the people that make aluminum beverage cans, steel food cans, aerosol cans, and the people that supply the aluminum and the steel to make those cans, but not like the fillers. So like Coca-Cola is not a member of our organization. And my job is to get our recycling rate up, promote the can as the sustainable circular package, and also to work with lawmakers and regulators so that they understand our sustainability story and account for that as they go about passing laws and promulgating regulations. So people often ask me, what do you do during the day? And we could talk about the day-to-day stuff, but also did you need the law degree to do what you do right now? And I would say that I would not have this job without the law degree. And that's because an important part of this job was not just, do you understand recycling? Can you form effective partnerships? But can you speak the lingo of the lawmakers and the regulators I was talking about before? And of course, in my interview, I was like, no problem. I'm an attorney, I can do that. And I did practice law for a little bit after law school. I was in the attorney honors program at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So I would say law school, of course, prepped me in terms of my writing skills and how I communicate generally. But just being able to have that calling card of sorts and show that I can speak to important constituents of the Ken Manufacturers Institute was critical to getting my job and doing it effectively now. How did you come across that job?
1: Like, I have to say, you know, if I'm in law school, I don't, I think of large law firms, government positions, public interest, um, trade associations, can Manufacturers Institute doesn't pop on my radar. And and uh, so how did you come across that that position?
2: Well, I, I would think that on graduation day from law school, if you had come up to me and said, what is a trade association? I would have been like, I don't know. It's uh, something where people get together and trade baseball cards or something, but I I don't think I had any idea what that was. And when I went to NOAA for that attorney honors program position, I sort of always knew in the back of my head that I probably wouldn't practice law for a long time. And that's part of why I got the MPA that you referenced, because I wanted to have a different set of skills and be multidisciplinary. And I actually started the podcast while I was at NOAA. And I enjoyed it so much and wanted to dive deeper into the field. So I took a job at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, was helping manage their sustainability and circular economy program, was able to lead their recycling effort. So that gave me that specialized expertise. And it's good to be a generalist to a certain extent. But then when you get that expertise, that specialization, I actually think that helps you advance. So the Can Manufacturers Institute, they wanted someone who understood recycling. So I was able to point to that. But in terms of how I found out about the job, it was actually through a recruiter. So... I was reached out to by a recruiter that hires for sustainability positions like this. And at first she was like, I don't know. I mean, you've got all the things, but you're pretty young. And I, I was like, okay, well, let's give it a go. And because like I said, I was able to point to the podcast as being an effective communicator, the law degree for being able to talk to lawmakers, regulators, to leading that recycling initiative to do recycling. And uh, yeah, it was through a recruiter. And I, I think I pinch myself every day. I'm in this position because I didn't have that master plan upon graduating law school, but really everything I've done, I feel like coalesces so well into this current
1: position. I've got to say, you've been out, what is it, maybe six plus years now, and, and uh, always great to have the vice president title there. Might, might even be better than a <laughs> dean title, I like it.
2: Uh, I don't know about that. Dean sounds pretty nice, but yeah. uh, no, I'm like I said, I, I'm honored to be in this position. I work hard every day to you know, make sure that the members of our trade association that gave me this opportunity um, feel like they did the right thing. And luckily, I'm working for an industry that has an honest sustainability story to tell and can make a big impact from recycling more cans. So you know, I'm motivated every day waking up.
1: You know, you mentioned your podcast, and I've got to say it's a little intimidating as we start our alumni podcast to uh, interview somebody who's, uh, who's had a podcast that's reached so many people and it has reached uh, the claim it has. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, Sustainability Defined uh, Podcast is and how you got that started?
2: Yeah. So I met my co host at a networking event. You know, it's always good to get out there, whether you hear about jobs or just people to do things with. So we met at a networking event. We met up later and he was like, Well, you've got good BS conversational skills. Uh, and what do you think about starting a podcast together? I was like, Sure. And of course, we were both interested in sustainability. So we thought about well, what are the podcasts we both like? And we like the podcast where you learn a lot. You know, it's not too many tangents. There's, a good amount of research facts there but also there's engaging interviews so we combined both and every episode of the podcast we focused on a different concept in sustainability so it could be food waste could be climate change communications could be sustainable apparel and we do these 10 or 15 minute introductions where we assume the listener knows nothing about the topic so food waste okay what's food waste and we launch all into that and then when we interview the expert in the field we're able to get beyond the basic questions and really dive deep with them. And every listener feels like they have a base with which to hear the expert interview. So that's how we've approached each episode. And I think people appreciate that there is this researched component to it. And it's not just simply interviews.
1: Yeah. You know, going substantively, what, what do you think some of the most biggest sustainability issues that is facing well, facing the nation of the world these days? What, what, you know, if you were talking to a student who's starting off thinking about environmental law or conservation or sustainability, what are a couple of things that you think they should be most focused on?
2: Well, I mean, obviously you can't have this sort of, what's the biggest issue without talking about climate change. I mean, that's sort of number one. I mean, I think one issue within climate change that law students should really look into and grapple with is sea level rise. So there's a book by a guy named John Englander. He's an oceanographer. It's called Moving to Higher Ground, Rising Sea Level and the Path Forward, just came out a couple months ago uh, in 2021. So this book though talks about how even with the carbon emissions that are in the atmosphere, even if we stopped totally today, there would still be this amount of sea level rise that is going to occur. And just with warming temperatures and the the, the greenhouse gases that are in that the ocean has absorbed. And when you think about the implications of this even a little bit of sea level rise, you're going to see who's going to own what property. There's going to be displacement of people. There's going to be contracts that people are going to be uh, very litigious about as they see that the value of their property has gone way down as people move away or it's inundated with the sea level rise, making it so their property is unusable. And so when I was hearing this book and I, I did, I say hearing because I listened to it as an audiobook, it, really made me think about all the ramifications of this change in property values and and where people are going to live and the legal issues. And it kind of blew my mind a little bit. So I I would say that's one for sure.
1: It sounds like like that we'll be needing lawyers for a long time, no matter which way this goes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, which is a good thing. For, for for us I guess at least
1: yeah exactly least for us well hey maybe let's talk a little bit about your degree and 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 how you decided to get a joint JD MPA a master's in public affairs and mm-hmm. and um, you know maybe what that is a little bit and uh, you know maybe your thoughts as to why students should consider a combination uh, like that
2: yeah so I think yeah so I mentioned that I got the masters of public affairs because I sort of had a feeling that I would not want to practice law for my entire career, and I felt like it was important to have a different set of skills to be able to call upon. So I find that a joint degree, it helps expand the kind of skills you have, but I would also say that it also expands your network, right? Because now I'm graduating with people that have chosen to focus on environmental policy. I also somehow talked my way into getting a social entrepreneurship certificate on top of the MPA and law degree. So I was taking some MBA level courses at the Kelly School of Business, and there's that helped me engage with Net Impact, which is a, a, a student club for t- typically business schools for those focused on social issues and environmental issues. Uh, so it was nice to engage there. I even took part in the case competition. So it gave me a broader set of skills, broader set of experiences, broader network, so that when I did decide, okay, I need to make this pivot, I had something to point to. And that's so important. And the something to point to doesn't necessarily need to be a whole degree. When I talk with people about career changes and things they can do to advance their career, I I always talk about, well, what kind of content are you generating? It doesn't need to be a podcast, uh, but it could be something as simple as once every other week, you commit to posting to LinkedIn on the thing that you are trying to move into. So that then there's a track record of you engaging on the issue so that when you apply to that new job and they're gonna look at your LinkedIn, they see that you've posted about the job, the kind of the issues that the job is focused on. And they say, wow, this person isn't just applying for this job because they need a job. They're honestly interested. And you can also use that to tag people that you're trying to engage in and use it as a way to expand your network. So. I think that the joint degree helped in the pivot, helped expand my skills, and I'm thankful for it. And it it also just honestly made it more fun because there were some semesters where I was able to take some law, some policy classes, and it made it uh, to go from thing to thing is, is when I am most in the zone. I don't like to necessarily just focus on one thing all the time, so that was nice too. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you can you give a sample or ex- some examples
1: of some of the policy courses you've taken? Like, uh, most most of our listeners will know the JD program. Uh, what kind of courses did you take in the MPA degree program?
2: Yeah, so I did take benefit cost analysis. I took domestic environmental policy. I took public policy analysis in the social entrepreneurship certificate uh, at the Kelly School of Business. I took something on spreadsheet modeling, which was really cool and. Uh, made me more comfortable with Excel. Uh, I took a class on uh, developing strategic capabilities, which was all about different strategic frameworks you can apply to analyze business issues. So you typically think in business school of these case studies where you read about some issue a company is going through and then you analyze it and you talk about it as a class. So the frameworks are very interesting to think about like, okay, if I were to analyze this issue, let's apply this framework. And it was fun to read about like Ben and Jerry's. I remember the professor brought in like ice cream for everybody. You know, we talked about that. So uh, yeah, I think that those, they call them at the MPA program, like the hard skills classes, like the benefit cost analysis, public policy analysis. And then I would say the strategic capabilities course, it was very applicable stuff you were learning. And so I really appreciated that in those courses.
1: Maybe go back. You know, you said uh, when we started talking about Ken, man, CMI, you were um, you talked about sort of broadly what you were doing, but then you said you, we might get into some of the the day to day details. Can you give a sense to the listeners what you know what,
2: what does your day to day look like? Well, sure. Uh, let's see. So, I'll tell you about today. So today was a very busy day. I presented in a webinar for the Southeast Recycling Development Council uh, about metals recycling. So. Some of my job involves presenting. I had a meeting that I facilitated with our beverage can sustainability committee where we were talking about our 2022 plans. So in trade associations, we don't sell anything, right? We have members, companies that are paying us dues to represent them. And so with the members, I was talking with them about the strategy of how we're gonna get more cans back, how we're gonna cement the can as the sustainable circular package. And so I was explaining, here's the budget, here's why I propose what I'm proposing, and working through the politics of each company and individuals so that we can get this approved. Uh, I also, we brought on an intern. I talked with an intern today about all the various projects we need for her. So there's a bit of management in my job. Uh, what else? And then I talked with uh, two organizations that we're working on, uh, collaborating with on, uh, it's not public yet, so I guess I can't, totally get into the topic, but we're publishing a joint op-ed with an organization that's an international NGO and an organization that is an advocacy organization. And the three of us are going to jointly publish an op-ed. So we were revising it together. So there's some writing, there's some managing, there's some presenting, there's some facilitating, and I love it because I was able to go from thing to thing and now I get to talk to you. So that's fun too. Yeah.
1: I just saying the highlight of the day, the podcast interview. Of course. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe you could talk just a little bit. uh, Why are cans sustainable? So you said that, right? That they're they're part of sort of a sustainable solution. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I guess when I was young, I I remember us collecting recyclable cans in order to make a little money. But uh, that's about it. Can you can you talk a little bit about sort of the substance underneath that? Well, first, were you in
2: a deposit state? Growing up in I say where you paid like 5 cents or 10 cents, and then you get it back when you redeem it?
1: Yeah, that's what it was, yeah. And which state was this? Oh, this was in Canada. So. Uh, oh, in Canada. Is, okay,
2: uh, of course, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, so in Canada, they have deposit systems, provincial ones for sure. And so that, let me first explain deposit systems real quick. So deposit systems, I think, are a key way for us to get more aluminum beverage can recycling. And that is where people pay 5 cents or 10 cents when they buy it. And then when they bring it back to a Redemption Center, they can get that money back. And that financial incentive is so important to get recycling rates up. Right now, the average, the, the, right now, the national aluminum beverage can recycling rate is 46%. In the 10 U.S. states that have a deposit, the average is 77%. So it's much higher. Um, but we need that recycling rate higher because then we can recycle more cans and have a significant environmental and economic impact. So we ask why are cans sustainable? Well, first of all the basics, right? Aluminum and steel, they can recycle over and over again. They don't lose any quality during the recycling process. So as long as we get that metal back, we can keep recycling it. Another benefit to metal can recycling is its economic value. Just looking at aluminum beverage cans, of all the single stream recyclables generated, at single family homes in the United States. Aluminum beverage cans are only 3% by weight, but they're nearly half of the revenue of all of those recyclables. So it's really important that people recycle their aluminum beverage cans so that we can recycle them over and over again. And also because it really benefits the recycling system when you benefit them. They need that money uh, so they can operate the material recovery facilities that sort single stream recyclables. And then with aluminum beverage cans, most all of the cans get turned into new cans. So you've got this very circular system and it's operating at scale today in this country. So right now we recycle about 43 billion aluminum beverage cans a year. That's like 11, 12 packs per person, 80,000 cans a minute. So just to summarize here, we're getting, we have the infrastructure in this country right now to recycle cans at scale. Most all of the beverage cans are getting turned into new beverage cans, and the metal can recycle We just need a bag, and it helps the economics of the system. So, I would encourage people. Hopefully, that helps a little bit. Whether the next time they buy an aluminum beverage can, they think a bit differently and say, "Oh, I really gotta recycle this thing." And we did. I will say, we just published a an impact calculator. If you go to canrecyclingimpact.com, you put in the number of beverage cans you recycled. And then it tells you your impact, energy savings, CO2 emissions, equivalent savings, as well as we put it in like fun metrics. So the energy savings from recycling these 10 cans, I can now t- toast like 40 pieces of bread, you know, with that energy savings, stuff like that, that's a little more fun and people can wrap their heads around.
1: It's, it's fascinating. Hey, going back to law, what would, you know, if, if you're talking to a new law student who's thinking about a career or thinking about a career in sustainability or, or uh, related to the environment, what kind of advice do you have for them? Or, or just generally, what advice do you have for new students
2: to law school? So I would say a couple of things of advice. One is that the clinics I felt were a big part of my Maurer experience. Conservation Law Center, Jeff Hyman, Bill Weeks. I know there's a new executive director who I, I heard speak when I was at the law school and is great. So it just was so practical. And the tutelage, both in terms of the law and just as a person, how I wanna operate, I felt really shaped me in the professional I am today. So that was super important. And then in terms of just being successful in law school, I mean, go to class, I mean, that's basic, but I went to class, I took really good notes and I organized them into that outline. And I, I know that there's trading of outlines like I did that a little bit, where maybe I looked at someone else's outline, but just the process of organizing the material in a way that made sense to me and that regurgit not regurgitated, but was reflective of what the professor had expressed, because that's who's grading it uh, was really important. I think to to being successful and understanding the material. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's good advice.
1: Hey, you know, one of the things I, I always wake up each morning and feel that I'm, I'm grateful for is living in Bloomington. You know, it's a great place to spend some time, a fabulous place to go to law school. Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite place of, uh, while you're here, in, either on campus or in Bloomington during your time?
2: Well, it might be a little stereotypical, but certainly I have a basketball moment. And my first year on campus, that was the year that we started to get really good at basketball. And there was that game against Kentucky where the watch shot occurred mm-hmm. where Christian Watford hit the three-pointer at the final second to beat Kentucky by one point. It was pandemonium. It was the best sporting event I've ever been to. And it filled, people flooded Kirkwood and they're jumping on cars. And they, I don't think they thought we were gonna win. So Kirkwood, they didn't tell cars to get off the street ahead of time. So people are jumping on cars. It, it was just it was nuts and very fun. So that's certainly one. I also love, I think you, I heard in your, one of your recent alumni chats, which are always very informative. You were saying how you told Bloomington students places they could go that are like COVID safe. And one of the ones you mentioned was the Beeline Trail. And I made great use of that. I would bike and run that all the time. Um, there's a couple other trails just like that, that are further away that I would run to uh, little, and then the state parks in like Brown County State Parks. So, the natural areas i felt was it was enriching and was a great way to escape and then i there also on that talk you gave there was talk of alumni that generously paid for opera tickets i remember i went to one of those events and that was so wonderful and so making use of the natural areas but also the events on campus i use cinema i remember i went to several movies there so it's just, there's so much to take advantage of. And as long as you're diligent and organized, there's time, there's time, go play pickup, go see a basketball game, do all the things. And I I think people will be more relaxed and end up being more successful. So,
1: yeah, no, I, you know, I think, I think one of the things about going to law school is you need to take a break and nothing like a good Mm -hmm. basketball game. We've got alumni that come back. Geez, I think they've been coming back for 40 years and they, yeah, they, they have a regular routine. They stop by Knicks, they go watch a game, they head down to Brown County and then they swing by the law school on their way out. And uh, it's a good tradition for people. So uh, yeah, glad to hear, hear about your good moments too. I, that, that was an amazing game. Um, well, well, Scott, Hey, thanks for spending time for us. It's great to catch up. Great. Uh, it was terrific to see you last week at the alumni uh, reception. And uh, I hope to see you the next time I'm in DC. I wish we're, you know, things are tricky with the pandemic, but we hope to be out there, uh, out there soon. So, uh, hope to catch you in person and thanks
2: for being part of our podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. This was fun. I'm a proud Hoosier. I love telling people that I went to IU and talking about Bloomington and, uh, you know, just the, I love the culture of the law school, the professors, everyone was so welcoming and so smart. And it, it, it really motivated me to try to be my best self. And it's, it's fun to go back to campus and to reflect on it. And, uh, it, it allowed me to do what I'm doing today, which is a job that I love. So thanks Dean Parrish. And I hope to be engaging with you and the broader Mauer community some more.
1: Yeah, no, we're looking forward to it. We're proud of what you've achieved, right? And uh, you're doing great work and uh, looking forward to hearing more of your stories as you continue your tremendous trajectory, making a difference in sustainability. So thanks, Scott. Great spending some time with you. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Sounds good. Take care.
0: And thanks to our listeners for joining us too. Don't forget to follow us on social media at both at Austin Parish and at Law on Twitter and Facebook. And we hope you make plans to come back to Bloomington soon. Each year, over a 1,000 alumni come back to campus, judging moot court or mock trial, serving as mentors, or helping our students in other ways. We hope you will too. And when you do, please reach out. Until the next time, this is one more cold call, an IU Maurer School of Law alumni podcast.